And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's Monday, October 18th. Welcome in. Uh, this is the Hold That Podcast podcast. I am your host, T Bob Abear podcast is brought to you by The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com slash hold that podcast for a super sweet $1 sign-up deal. And then after you sign up, you can read Brody Miller's writing. Who is Brody Miller? If you're asking that, I'm surprised that you're listening, but welcome. You're new and that's great. And we welcome you. Brody is my co-host and he happens to cover LSU for The Athletic and does some truly truly excellent work brody what's up man well um you know safe to say i'm doing better than uh, lsu this week you know they they have a uh, injured quarterback uh games getting canceled uh one and two record but you know i just had a nice little homemade ice mocha and i'm i'm doing solid man how are you Oh, uh, well, I don't know. The game getting canceled thing, you said That's uh, true. That's a, a positive. You're right. <laughs> I mean, that, Aside from, a... like, coronavirus breaking out, that is a positive for LSU, absolutely. Yeah, for, from a strictly football perspective, that was quite the nice break. <laughs> that is a win. They would be uh, for the three. LSU football Tigers, yes, for sure. Because for reference to those um, who don't know, they would have 100% been without Miles Brennan, and yep. they might have been without Terrace Marshall and Eric Gilbert. So, uh, yeah, they would be 1-3 without a doubt. So that's perfect. Uh, let's lay out kind of what we're going to talk about today. So, Brody, saying for those that don't know, because we were recording this immediately following Ed Ogeron's Monday press conference, and uh, obviously the big topic of the day is the status of Miles Brennan. Brody, I don't know about you, but this has been uh, one of the wilder stories that I can remember in recent memory in terms of me not really having an idea of what's <laughs> going on. Like a lot of times it's it's one of those situations where – you feel like you have really good information about what's probably happening or what probably happened, but it's not good enough to go public or you're respecting a relationship and you don't want to go yeah. public with it. And, and so you kind of sit on it, right? And that's just how the world works. Uh, but, but, and you kind of talk around it publicly. You're like, well, I don't know. We'll have to see, right? This is a situation where I truly do not know. Like I have heard <laughs> things from all ends of the spectrum from people that are that I would think are good sources and some more tangential people and I don't know. So it, but but that seems to be really everybody, right? Is Miles out for the year? Is it short term? Will he be back? Will he play this week? That was like the entire weekend. And so we're recording right after the press conference where the main topic was the status of Miles Brennan and if Miles cannot go, who We'll play behind him, so we will get into all of that. Um, Brody, when 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 Coach O was asked about Brennan today, he said a few things. Uh, and sometimes it would, it would, they were kind of bounced back and forth, right? said he expects Miles back maybe early in this week. 
um, said that uh, they, they originally thought he'd be back today, but it's not healing quite as fast as he thought he would. But then he also said things like it's a significant injury to his lower body, and he said multiple times that he is questionable for this weekend. And when he was answering about the freshman quarterbacks, he talked about, you know, whoever practices better will start. And now I think the implied is that, like, you know, if Miles can't go. But to me, this is my takeaway. If I am reading between the lines, like looking at all the rumors and then what Coach O said today, uh, and this is my interpretation of it. I want you to let me know if we're in the same mind. I think that he is wanting to kind of publicly say that, no, he is not done for the year. But I don't know if he's going to be back in the immediate future or maybe even like a couple weeks. Yeah, so first off, yeah, you broke it all that's down. That's just my take. That's that's my yeah. take on it. Yeah, that's not like so coming and, from any information. Your original breakdown was perfect because you're pointing out this is kind of, you know, uh, this is a bizarre one because you are hearing so many things. You know, usually when something like this is going on, you know, I, I, I like to just for fun tech t- check tiger droppings, you know, just to like, what are people saying? And it, this one, which I do like once every like three months, and this one was pretty off the rails of like, his hips dislocated and he's out for the year. Then you got like it was, it was some crazy stuff. Um, yeah. So my read from just if we're just gonna stick with what Ogeron said, my read is he does have, and it backs up my my reporting. What I've heard so far is that yeah, he does have a, a relevant injury, but it's not something that requires surgery. It is something okay. that it is that something that is going to have to to heal on its own. Um, okay. it is, so it's something that's going to be kind of a day to day. It's basically a pain tolerance situation and a pain management situation Oof. and kind of a, which, yeah, that, that's kind of the hard three part. Ga- three games into a <laughs> 10 game SEC schedule, exactly. having a season long injury that you just have to grit through is not what you want to have exactly. to deal with. So, and yeah, so, and I think it's going to be kind of day to day to see how he handles it. You know, and I, again, like you said, there's a lot of things that I don't know if I'm, allowed to report yet for example we don't want to burn certain things but from what i understand it's kind of going to be a how does he feel throwing on a certain day and stuff like that but i think there is a chance he plays um i this okay week, i mean I, i'm not predicting that yet i'm not saying he won't yet i i think there is a decent chance he plays but no that's pl- interesting because i didn't i didn't i didn't expect him i but, actually in my head i was kind of thinking it was completely but off the that's table. the thing that so from what i'm hearing from some sources i do trust that there's a decent chance he plays but they're also acknowledging it's going to be really tough for and painful for him to play but Oof. if i'm reading off ogeron which again ogeron made it sound as if it is more likely he does not that is the the yes. sentiment it seemed like he wanted to get out, or at least maybe that's just being smart and preparing people for the, for the possibility and preparing them for what might happen. And then if he does play, it's a nice little surprise. And also, there might be a little gamesmanship of like, hey, you'd rather South Carolina assume he's not playing, right? But yeah, that's um, true. And I, again, that's still not me predicting either way. But um, my read from Ogeron was that yeah, it seems like he was talking in a way that was like. He was basically answering questions as if like he's preparing on it being those two freshmen and one of them's going to play and whatnot. And I know in another segment we'll talk about those two quarterbacks and whatnot and on their own. But yeah, so I think it's a situation that is still incredibly hard to predict, and I don't think it's one where it's a you know or you don't. I think it's a situation where things are going to be pretty fluid day to day. And you know, like I, I think it's going to be something that we're going to have to be following all year if what I'm hearing is true in the sense that like he might play Saturday, but he not might not make it the whole game, you know, or this might be something they really have to manage this whole season. That's just the sense I have right now. That, and again, it could change any day, but as of now, I don't think there's surgery. So this could be a wild year for a team that is already off to a one and two start and the season hasn't even gotten difficult yet. 
Yeah, so um, there is one, one interesting thing that can be stated, I believe, as inarguable fact is that if there were any lingering questions, and because of Brody's reporting, I'm not sure that there should have been, but we'll get to what I mean there. If there were any lingering issues around Miles Brennan's toughness, uh, those should obviously be dispelled, right? Because anytime you play three quarters of a game with an injury that would have definitely held you out the next week, perhaps held you out two weeks after that, that means that you are playing in a significant amount of pain. As Ogeron said, it's a significant lower body injury. So you're talking about whatever he's dealing with being out there. And when you saw him deliver that 75-yard rope over the safety to Terrace Marshall and all these other big plays late in the game, he was doing that in an inordinate amount of pain. And, and, and it's, it's, it's interesting to me, Brody, because I don't know that he should have ever been questioned for that in the first place because, I mean, you've laid it out. What was the piece that you wrote on him uh, about him playing, like, yeah. super injured back in high school? Like, kind of refresh people's memory on that. Yeah, I was actually going to get to that. Yeah, I mean, Miles Brennan, again, the thing is he looks like the surfer boy rich kid, which, I mean, he is yes. a rich kid and all that. But he is, from everything I've gathered, a, a kind of a badass in a lot of ways. And, yeah, the story goes that basically in a playoff game, I believe it was his sophomore year, maybe his junior year back in Mississippi – Basically, I mean, to, to put it simply, he basically had his, his, his throwing arm completely sliced open, like, like to the point where people could see inside of the arm. You know, it was like a long, sizable gash. And he basically didn't even know it. Then, like, everyone was like, okay, you have to go to the hospital. And he just kind of, like, gave a look. And this is in the fourth quarter. Just kind of gave a look to his trainer, his head coach. And then his coach looked at the trainer, and it was like, nah, I think he's going to go. So they basically wrapped this thing up. And he goes out and throws the game-winning touchdown. And basically on that game, he leads, I think he like he plays a whole fourth quarter, leads a game-winning touchdown drive, and then on the game-winning touchdown gets hit again and just like completely makes it worse. And basically like doesn't even celebrate. He throws a game-winning touchdown, has to hop in an ambulance, go to the hospital, and get like 20 stitches <laughs> on his arm or something. So, yeah, I mean, he was playing this game. I mean, from what I understand, it was early in the game, too, to be clear. He played this whole game with a pretty... Was it on the hit? Was it on the big hit? Because, I mean, that would make sense. His body got was, folded on was that. Actually like, not, could... What I'm told, it was actually not on the big hit, surprisingly. Oh, even, wow. Even okay. crazier, I think it was before that, which means that what? it. Yeah. Um, but, again, still, still so many things that are murky, but that's what I was told. It was <laughs> not on that hit. But, yeah, so the fact that he was playing this whole game and still, yeah, his numbers did take a dip in the second half, which, if anything, that helps explain that. But he still played a great second half overall. Yeah. And some of these throws he was making, the fact that he's doing that – with a bang, with a like a very severe injury on his lower body, that is uh, pretty impressive for him, and definitely kind of shows some uh, some cojones on his part. Yeah, um, and so like as an LSU fan, exactly. So if you had any lingering questions, put him to bed. He is definitely tough enough to play this position. Uh, let's okay. I, I'm trying to think about how order of operations. How I want to do this because I want to get into the freshman quarterback. Yeah, but I also want to get into long term. So let's do freshman first, yeah, and we'll get into there. long-term, like, will they supplant or, like, how, what happens there? Um, so it looks like, as we said, if you were to just kind of judge by what Coach O was saying, that he is preparing for the very real possibility that you will have a freshman starting quarterback. 
uh, on this Saturday. Uh, he, he said that, look, uh, they both he, – he basically stuck to what he's been saying the entire offseason about them, which is they're both dead even. They both have fantastic practices and that whoever practices better will get the start. Am I wrong, or did he also say that almost no matter what, he expects both to play in the game? I didn't hear that, but he might have said that, so no comment. I, th- I thought he said so. Okay, no, I-, I thought he said that he would go both time in the game, but maybe I maybe, maybe I misheard there. Um, look, LSU fans, uh, it's a scary time when things are already this terrible and you lose kind of the one bright spot, and then you have freshman quarterbacks. But that th- th- this is such a wildly bad break given how the season has already gone that I say at this point just shift your mindset embrace the quarterback like embrace the chaos and just recognize that uh that yeah it's gonna be it's it's just this season is what it is and you gotta ride it out and kind of hope for the best and who knows like maybe somebody emerges they're the guy maybe you feel better about your depth after this is all said and done but it's only gonna get weirder from here on out with 18-year-olds now helming the LSU offense. Yeah, I think at this point, you know, you're just looking for a better draft pick. You know, you're trying to do a rebuild, maybe <laughs> maybe trade for a few more picks. We'll see how that goes. But, yeah, I think you have to. And I actually had a piece up this morning that actually, if anything, kind of aged poorly. But it was kind of the idea was, and we'll get to this later, but it's almost like a, if, if there, if, what's the roadmap even look like if LSU were to salvage its season, right? Like, what would have to happen? What are the new expectations? Those kind of things. And I tried to break that down. Well, now, if this is, you know, depend, based on what we're hearing, and if you're trying to prepare for the idea that Brennan, you know, might, don't, might not play much more this season or whatever happens, yeah, I, I think you really have to change your expectations. At this point, like, there's, I'm trying to think about it, like, if it's true that you were playing a true freshman quarterback, and like, listen, I think Max, like both these guys have a chance to be good quarterbacks, and they both have good upsides, good pedigrees, they could be good. But it's not like either of these guys are like your Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields types that came in and people are like expectations to play early. No, they're not. They are not those guys. Those are guys that weren't expected to see the field till like year three. So this could get really ugly. This could genuinely be, you know, if it if it's that, if it comes to that, like your your three and seven, four and six kind of season, that is actually a possibility because we were already talking about that with a healthy Miles Brennan. Now you actually might be playing a true freshman, and then if the season goes off the rails, then you start wondering like, are you going to see more guys opt out or something like that? You know, if like you're a Terrace Marshall, you know, and you're like legitimately proving you're a star already, do you consider that? And I'm not reporting that. I'm just like talking out of my ass, but you start wondering things like that. So this could get really bad. But still, yeah. So yeah, just prepare yourself. That's all we're saying. Uh, uh, and now more than ever, uh, LSU needs to get this running game more consistent. Um, I don't know how exactly they do that. I, I think definitely having Ed Ingram back obviously goes a long way uh, towards doing that. And he would have been available last week. Also, you mentioned Arik Gilbert and Terrace Marshall. A little housekeeping. Uh, it's. Uh, so yeah, a little housekeeping here. Terrace Marshall and uh, Eric Gilbert. It sounds like are going to be available this Saturday. Obviously, we'll let Ingram. So, I, th- I, I think I think Ingram will help the running game. I still, you know, Brody. I don't know if it's just because you spun me up with all of your hot ideas about LSU employing more spread power attacks and a little more creativity out of the run game. But uh, I've actually been a little disappointed schematically in how they've tried to run the ball this season. You you could do a bit more things 
uh, out of the spread than they are currently doing. It feels like mainly all they're doing is zone. And not even zone read because they're blocking, blocking that backside in and Miles isn't going to pull it because that's not his strength. So um, they need the running game more than ever. I just kind of have questions about how good it can really be. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, because first off, you start with the fact they're at a 65-35 split right now, and I think that's there's other reasons for that, and they've made adjustments. I don't think that's like truly – they're not going to be 65-35 all year, in my opinion, let alone with a banged-up Brennan. But it's not even about the, the run-pass split, like you're saying. It's more about it doesn't seem like you're seeing that much creativity there. You know, because like when I talk about a power spread, for example, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about like – what I'm getting at when I say something like that is I'm thinking, you know, Mississippi State era Dan yeah, yeah, exactly. or something like that, right? Yeah, like it's you spread the field, but you take advantage of mismatches and use some power and whatnot, and, and that's how you win. And LSU, I think, has the personnel to do that. And also, if you go with Max Johnson, for example, in this hypothetical scenario that he's the starting quarterback, I mean, he's a, good, he's a pretty good runner. I mean, he's a true freshman, so you probably don't want him taking hits, but he's a good scrambler, you know what I mean? He can move around. I don't know if he's a runner-runner, but... Yeah, I think you. I think you have to. I mean, Ed O'Shawn has made the joke himself. He's like, "Yeah, last year we pretty much had one play. It was just, you know, it was inside zone, and then Clyde just kind of did what he yeah. wanted with it. And granted, that's just part of the zone. You know, there's a, there's some freedom there. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I think, that's, uh, I mean they, look, I think the, the, that's what the Broncos and Terrell Davis back in the day built their two Super Bowls on was just zone yeah. and, and stretch, and just let Terrell Davis figure it out. So that can be successful. I, but, but I, I do don't think know if I see a Clyde or Terrell Davis there right now. And it's tricky because I also don't think we're going to see the height of LSU's creativity those first three games with those opponents. You know what I mean? Like, say they do have better stuff in the bag. Um, First off, it backfired. I'm not saying this in, like, a defending them way. But, like, you lost those games, so that's a bad strategy. But, you know, I doubt, like, you know, it's for example, last year, Dave Aranda like, didn't even use most of his good defenses until the second half of the year when they played better opponents. You know what I mean? So I, I think you know, there's probably some things that they have planned. It's not like some of the stuff they did last year with Joe Brady is just gone. But, yeah, you need to get more creative. And he implied today that Terrace Marshall is going to be played at some new positions. And I know – well, I mean, if you're using just process of elimination, that kind of sounds like they're implying we'll see some Terrace Marshall Wildcat quarterback because what else would that possibly mean? But – yeah, I think you're going to see some more creativity and whatnot. Ojean keeps talking about like his favorite line is that the running backs are actually like the most talented, you know, the best looking position on the team right now. And I mean, the running backs have looked fine to me. I don't blame them for not having holes, but they haven't. The running game hasn't looked particularly. And, great. and for so those that are like, what have, about Vanderbilt? I'm sorry, we're just not. I mean, it's just not really. Yeah, we're not really. The thing I always say about the Vanderbilt game is Vanderbilt anymore. Yeah. unfortunately. 
The thing, the thing I always say about the Vanderbilt game is, was it impressive for John Emery, and was that encouraging? Absolutely. But John Emery is kind of made to embarrass. Like, he is made to thrive against a Vanderbilt. Yeah. Because he is so much more athletically talented than them that if you get him in a one-on-one, he's just going to win that. But it's a different thing when you're in a one-on-one with a, I don't know, like a, a Auburn linebacker, for example. Well, yeah, Auburn, maybe not the – you mean an Arkansas linebacker. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, the hottest team. But in I mean, the SEC. our overall point here. But I think the point, like we're really trying to get to, and like the thesis of this is that your scale and what you're looking at needs to change. If you're an LSU fan right now, because you are no longer looking, you should not be looking at the season anymore. About like, are we beating this team? Where are we sitting in the standing? It needs to be more about team development. It needs to be looking yeah. at. You know, are you setting the building blocks for, you know, to go in the right direction? Or does this look like something where this program's weirdly off the rails? Because those things happen. I mean, they can happen fast in college football. So, I mean, you're looking at, I'm not saying you should judge Max Johnson or TJ Finley harshly as true freshmen thrown in that spot. But, you know, look at them. Like, Do you like what you're seeing? Do you like what you're seeing from those running backs? Because all three of them, you would imagine, are also going to be the running backs next year. I don't think any of them are leaving. And, you know, you need to look hard at... You know, developing those young receivers. Yes, Terrace Marshall's your guy, and you need to get him the ball. But how's Kayshawn Butte looking? So you know, as a true freshman, how's Coy Moore looking? Maybe get Trey Palmer more involved. Guys like that, or are you looking? Obviously, Eric Gilbert's the most important. You need to figure. I mean, he. They seem like they finally figured out that kind of right role for him last game against Missouri, and really figured out how to give him the ball. Really harness how to use him against SEC defenses because he's the future of your program in reality. And then also, you know, how does Elias Ricks look? You know, Josh White sounds like he's going to get some more playing time. He's a guy I was really high on all offseason. I was kind of selling a lot of Josh White stock. And, and I think, you know, I think I don't know if I'm right about that, but I do think we'll see him more this week. So my point is just like you, you need to be looking at, okay, is this offense getting creative enough? Is the defense progressing is Bo Pelini the guy or is he not that's what you need to be looking at don't look at it from a mm, win-loss point you of hear view. that ladies and gentlemen that is a longtime Philadelphia 76er fan speaking <laughs> from a lifetime worth of experience right there um it's true man I I spent you know a, a greater part of the 2010s being <laughs> like you know is Tony Roten in the future is he part of the team's plans you know I spent like decent chunks of my life debating that in group me so yeah you're right. uh, wow I mean depressing uh but it is what it is see but you know what pisses me off kind of about that Brody is what pisses you is off that I about? don't even feel like I can do that on the defensive side of the ball because I just don't trust at all that that anything they're doing now will even be relevant in a year because if they continue to look how they've looked, like <laughs> you will have a new defensive coordinator. Like no matter the price tag, I almost feel it's just it's yeah, just I too mean, brutal right now. And and every week, even LSU not playing this weekend, you come away feeling worse about the defense because you go and watch Mississippi State just looks absolutely terrible once again, and then you go watch Alabama roll up what's supposed to be the best defense in the entire country. Like it was nothing. It's uh, yeah, yeah. Even though they were all, yeah. so, so that's my point. It's just, it's so hard yeah. to judge the defensive players right now because the whole system just seems broken to its core. And and hopefully and this postponed game gave them some time to at least improve upon it, which shouldn't be hard because it's almost hard to be worse. 
No, I think there's a lot to get at there because, I mean, I think Damone Clark's the poster child for this, right? Damone Clark is the guy that another guy I was hyping up a, a lot and I really thought, I mean, you watched Damone Clark last year and granted, he was always a guy who didn't always have the IQ parts of the game down and had to learn those and, and he was like, there was a reason he wasn't, you know, he didn't, he, had, he got a smaller role last year, but when he's on, when he knows what he's doing, that dude is a freak physical specimen. Like, And I'm like, I thought that dude was going to stand out in this defense because I thought it'd be simpler and all these things, but he is the poster child for he's a physical freak who is moving really slowly and timidly because he doesn't yeah. know what to do. So then you have to sit here and you have to ask yourself, like, well, do I do I sell that Damone Clark stock? Am I do you get out on Damone Clark and start playing younger guys? I mean, I don't I don't think that's the right move because I don't think I should be judging Damone Clark by what I've seen through three games because I don't think he knows what he's doing and that's more a reflection on the defensive coordinator. So because he's not just there? Clark; and it's I, everybody I think, that doesn't know what the hell they're doing right exactly. now. Exactly. And I I was talking to somebody in the program who who would know and and he was I'm just like, hey man, like what what do you point out like that really you know like what do you need to fix? And he's like, well, he's like, here's the thing where you start. Last year, there was pretty much one guy on, on of the starting lineup, and I'm not going to mention the name, but there was pretty much one guy who, you know, kind of didn't know what he was doing when he was out there. He was like, he called it, I forget the term he used, it was great, but it was just like, he was like, it's prospects versus suspects, I think was his term. And he's like, there was one suspect, and there was one guy where you're like, I just don't think this guy just knows what he's doing. Everyone else knew what they were doing, so if there was so a mistake, it was just like At that point, it's an indictment a, on the player more so than the coach. Yeah, it's like at that point, it's a football thing if you mess up or if a game thing. Like, but now he said, this person was saying, like, now it's every position group has a few guys like that. The D line's screwing up. The linebackers don't know what they're doing at times. Everyone, I mean, every, he basically said most people in the secondary except Stingley are making mistakes and don't know what they're doing. So you just have a defense top to bottom. And hearing this from someone really in the program kind of solidified it for me that, like, you just. That's, think about that. You went from one guy out of 11 who kind of didn't know what he was doing and you could make up for that to at a point now where you're talking about, I don't know, nine? That That, that is definitive. But then, then I also can use that as a positive in a small way to be like, you would think that's fixable, right? Yeah. You would think that's something that whether Maybe it be not, well, by at next least season improvable. or... Yes. Because if you even get to a point, I'm not saying this is achievable. I think sometimes we can sound really stupid when we oversimplify things and be like, we'll just make the defense just play base 4-3. Like, that's no, that's not really how that works. I'm not saying you should do that. But it does make me think, like, if you just boil it down to a point where it's really simple, like Ogeron's saying, and they know what they're doing, and everyone out there just has a job and they know it, you would think with the talent on this roster, you could at least get to average, right? You could at least get to one where, yeah, you get beat sometimes, and yeah, you're probably a little more bend, don't break, but you're in games. And if that you can do that, yeah, this team still can win football games. They're talented. See, so the problem that I kind of have in 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 accepting that, and I hope that I'm wrong here, is I'm not saying no, I'm no, I know, I know, but like, like, like I said, I think it's improvable because it's just hard to be like that. That's the thing, though. It is so bad right now that. If you held a gun to my head and took, hey, do you want to keep running this or do you just want to run one defense the entire time? I think I would literally choose just the one defense. And I think you would almost have a greater chance of getting stopped. So that's my problem in making myself believe that it is like truly fixable is what you have seen is just so out of touch with reality. Like I keep going back to the Mississippi State game plan. What film did you watch that told you that that was a good game plan? Uh, it's and, and and look at what every single team has done to Mississippi State in the interim. So I mean, I just I, I 
it, it just speaks, I don't you know, all the talk about like game passage by all these things, I don't know, but but that's just how it feels. So, but look, ultimately, you forge your own destiny on the field in football, so like, yeah, whatever, go have a good game this weekend. I mean, I will say this, how do you feel about this? And we'll kind of get into a little South Carolina preview here. Um, I feel like South Carolina, you know, Mike Bobo is another offensive line that's been around since Pelini back in 07 and everything. I feel like he runs a much more traditional pro-style offense and that the 4-3 will just, like, match up better with it. So I think you could potentially see some improvement in that way from LSU this week. <laughs> that's a good point. But even someone like Bobo, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not going to pretend I'm sitting here breaking down South Carolina film, film every day. But at least Bobo, I mean, he's doing kind of old-school things, but I feel like he does them in creative ways. You know, like, yes, like a lot of his formations and whatnot are a little more old-school, but I still feel like he does stuff that can make life difficult for a defense. Uh, and I, I guess I maybe – I don't know. I don't even know where I'm getting at with that, but I don't know if Polini's doing No, I mean, no, he's uh, – yeah, I mean – it's hard to have faith in anything. So we didn't. By the way, we didn't get to the actual point of this category, which was supposed to be kind of Max Johnson and T.J. Finley. So do you have like a? I mean, I feel like a, a I feel like the grapevine. They seemed really, really high on Max Johnson um, through the off season. I think that I didn't hear nearly as much about T.J. Finley. It always was kind of a, proje- a projecting Max Johnson to the future sort of thing, though. I don't think it was ever like yeah. he's going to be the guy this year. So. If I had to guess, I think he's the one, but but it is interesting um, because well, no, I mean I don't know. Are 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 either to to be honest, I don't know much about either quarterback. Are either of them runners? So Max Johnson is a bit of a runner. You know, for example, Ogeron today said he actually probably has a little bit more you know speed than Burrow. Okay, well example, then then I think a, he will almost assuredly start. Like whoever's the more athletic out of the two will almost assuredly start. <laughs> Just because unless one is significantly better at decision-making, um, they're going to want someone who can maybe just make some plays and then you can get zone read back in there and actually run it a bit more. And that's a play that high school quarterbacks are very used to running. Um, so, yeah, that, if that's the case, I think it's uh, pretty cut and dry that I think Johnson would start. It's yeah, because I mean, it's funny, you know, leading up to it, like you were saying, almost every leading up to the fall camp and whatnot, everything I had ever heard was that Max Johnson was definitely more of the guy, and TJ. I mean, some some of the recruiting people I've talked to who followed him for a while just like just didn't have any faith in TJ Finley, and they were like, the guy in seven on seven wasn't even hitting his targets. You know yeah. what I mean? Like his he had like a sub fifty percent in a seven on seven scrimmage. You know, that's just like it's kind of hard to come to terms with that. But he does. He's a huge guy, like six six two fifty, kind of big. You know, something in that realm. I think that's actually might be underselling. And he's got a big arm. Like, those things we do know. But, you know, the, the, it's tricky. And, and this is an area where I'll admit to our listeners and readers, like, it's actually kind of a lot harder this year to get some of those little insights you normally would get about, you know, which cool backup they like more and things like that because of the pandemic. Because, you know, I'm not at practice and I'm not, you know, maybe, you know, just like asking this this person I saw at practice what they thought about blah 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 we don't have that anymore to the same extent so it really is just kind of relying on 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 people and what people are saying so it's a little harder to have any insight but it does sound like TJ Finley's actually looked pretty oh, good at okay. some of these scrimmages okay. and practices yeah. and so it's, it's tough I just don't well I just don't know because I'm confused because it does sound like Johnson was always more of the guy and Ogeron's never gonna 
he's never going to say anything that sounds like he's no, putting dude, Johnson ahead no. of Finley until he has to. So it, it's tough. But if I had a gun to my head, which not, we should uh, probably stop that I, save, I, I but pro- I brought that up first. You're right. Yes. If I'm, I know I comments. I'm like that's probably not something I, I should say. Oh, yeah. your head, Brody. What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, probably Max Johnson. Uh, uh, I mean, and also, like, I think part of Max Johnson's story kind of makes me feel more confident in him because he's somebody who, I mean, I remember his junior year, his completion percentage was 39%, and everyone being like, that's a red flag. This guy's committed to LSU, and he's like a four-star. Like, what are you talking about? But then you look closer and you realize his entire receiving – I'm pretty sure – I'm trying to remember what it was. I think it was literally – his top five receivers were hurt his junior year, something like that. It was it was kind of crazy. Oh no, it was seven. Yeah, his seven top receivers were injured and out for the majority of the season. Oh so he was basically playing his junior year with nobody. And then when he came back for his senior year, he led Oconee County or however you say it, which is not a major, not a very great program historically. Took them to the state, the Georgia State Championship game. So when you look at it from that perspective, I just kind of like things about him in that sense. Does sound like he's a better runner. He's obviously the son of Brad Johnson, so this is kind of like one of those ignorant things you just assume. But you're kind of like he probably has a solid football IQ and stuff like that. So my gut would be Max Johnson. But again, I'm not in practices, so I'm a little bit talking about. Yeah, my maybe maybe both will play. We'll uh, have to wait and see. Although I would find that a bit surprising. Would I find that surprising? It's tough because if you're playing a true freshman, yeah, you just want them to find some comfort and some rhythm. You got to yeah. let them just go. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking too. Especially if like, like unless you have one of them who's John Reese Plumley or say, something, you know, if one's on a great change of pace, and there's really no point. But I don't think either yeah, are. Yeah. yeah. So maybe you just stick with the guy that you're old. Okay. One thing before we move on to South Carolina, real quick, in the state of the SEC. Um, do you think Miles will remain the starter through this? There's a question that O was asked. You mean like going into 2021? Uh, I mean, I guess that's really an unfair question. Um, going into 2021. I mean, yes, I do. But like, yeah, when he returns this year. Because O O left the door open. But to me, it was yes. just a don't back yourself into a corner answer. Like, like yeah, you know, like oh, it somebody was. could. Yeah. But that was just a Miles question he didn't even expect to get. Yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I would be. I feel confident saying I would be pretty darn shocked if, if Miles Brennan lost the job this season. It would mean one of those guys came out and just balled out. And if they do, yeah, you gotta like you can't be like like stubborn with this stuff. If one of those guys legitimately looks like a superstar, you gotta ride yeah. it. But I would be very shocked if Miles Brennan lost this job, and I would be very shocked if he's not the starting quarterback in twenty twenty one because. I mean, I think actually Garrett Nussmeyer is going to be like a really good LSU quarterback. I'm actually really high on him. But again, like I don't think he's your Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields kind of guy who's like physically at a point where he can just come in day one and, and be a star. I just don't think he's that kind of guy. So I don't think so barring a transfer. And again, things have to go pretty bad if you brought in a transfer quarterback. And they were going so, so good, dude. No. I mean, outside of just with Miles alone, statistically, it was a beast three games. So we'll see LSU fans. Um if you're listening to this on Monday, if I had to guess, I don't think he'll play. But as Brody laid out, he has, you know, he's played when people thought he won in the past. So we'll see. Uh, Brody, I don't want to belabor this too long, um, but I know that you have a bit of a soft spot for Will Muschamp. Um, I know that you <laughs> like kind of try to call him at least once or twice a week. Uh, how are you feeling about your boy as he's rattled off a couple dubs in a row here? <laughs> I hate this is a thing I do a lot when I debate sports and it's a real problem where like I don't even think it's contrarian but such like a devil's advocate like benefit of yeah, the doubt person is. that I that I, I find myself like 
backing myself into a corner where it sounds like I'm a Is fan that old of somebody cliche? that I think Context makes for strange bedfellows. <laughs> but yeah, so I back I back myself in a corner of like just loving like sounding like I love somebody who I think is just whatever. Yes, you know, yes, like yes. it happened once where I'm in a group chat with Sixers fans and I was like talk like they all hate Jared Dudley after a postseason series last year and he was like talking trash and stuff and I'm like and I was just saying like yeah Jared Dudley though he's like the and most like beloved teammate in the NBA. You, and here you were so mad at me that day for arguing John Favreau's resume and that he's an incredible director. When I was really, and again, that's a great I was example. Really just doing that same thing, I wasn't even really arguing particularly in good faith. I just sorry, I was just down. so. That's a pre-athletic <laughs> podcast, for, like this, that's for our true fans. But man, I was so rattled by that take that day. I was like, I stopped what I was doing and put my like computer down. I'm like, but anyway, sorry. Yeah, so the Will Muschamp thing is one of those things where I'm like. I just didn't think it was fair that he was like being judged harshly. I think my favorite thing about college football is that there there needs to be a sense of relativism. There's very few sports where that actually exists, where it's like in, in, in the MLB or something, like you're either good or you're bad. Like you can't be like, you know, you don't get like the benefit of the doubt. Well, in college football, I think South Carolina's scale for success should be consistently in that, you know, you're a good coach at South Carolina, in my opinion, if you're hanging that 79 win range consistently. But if you're at Florida and you go nine and three every year, you're failing. You know, it's just, I love that about college football. And my point with Will Muschamp was, he had some like I just don't think he should have been like fired for going six and six and stuff like that. I thought he's doing fine. He's got some good recruiting classes. I don't think Will Muschamp's some great coach or anything. I don't think he's he's amazing. But six and six his first year in the regular season, nine and four total his second year, seven and six the third year, and then went four he and eight last year. Like one that's year? one bad year in my. He was that? nine and four. Twenty seventeen they. 2017, they were eight and four, and oh, they won the bowl okay. game. Yep. Credit to him. That's a way better. Season so then, set, than I and then made another bowl game this third year. Yeah, he only he's only had one like you know true losing regular season. Don't me wrong, four and eight's terrible, but I'm just saying like I, I just thought it was like a little weird and unfair. But he obviously had a five, number one player in the country, or not number one, but five star Jordan Birch come in this past year. He's got some good recruiting classes. So how Point do you being, feel I still don't think so. about him? Let's assume that Elsher is a freshman quarterback starting. How do you feel about that matchup? As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th 
Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Well, if it's a freshman quarterback starting South Carolina, it would be a rough look if they lose this game. Yeah, considering... Considering what this LSU defense has yeah. looked like, considering you might be playing a true freshman who's never played before, South Carolina should win this game. The spread right now is 6.5 points. If you're an SP Plus guy, they actually have it as 11.4 LSU favorite in this game, which I think you know would surprise a lot of people. But, I mean, SP Plus has South Carolina as the 53rd best team in the country. Also, like, SP Plus a, probably I, cannot account for the inexplicably bad uh, coaching defense that LSU's had thus far. Absolutely, yeah. So my my take, it's such a tricky thing to debate because, yeah, if we're going off purely true freshman quarterback, I think this game is sincerely a toss-up. You know what I mean? I think it's I think that would account for probably South Carolina having like a one- to two-point edge. But if it's Miles Brennan, yeah, LSU is just no excuse for losing this game. And I know they lost to Missouri and, and Mississippi State, so your scale is way off now. And you're like, well, they lost those. They can lose anything. But still, LSU is a definitively better football team or should be a better football team than South Carolina this year even in those wins they didn't look great you know I think Auburn's just might be bad this year if we're being honest so I'm not that high on South Carolina but LSU has to get their shit together because if they don't have it this week they are it could just be an absolute dumpster yeah I mean you broke it down even pre-miles injury this morning four and six is the most well four and six is more realistic than six and four is this year and if you lose that South Carolina game just pump that down even to three and seven so like uh, if you're, you're, you're bleeding out and the, the damage needs to be mitigated maybe you manage to like slow the bleeding by getting one game delayed till December but you need you got to cauterize the wound and you could do that this Saturday especially if you do have a freshman quarterback and you go and win that game which <clears throat> I can't help but feel that there's an element of that where the defense has been so bad that maybe I've warped so far the other way and that because South Carolina is not as not as maybe unique of attack as the air raid or like as multiple as a lot of the stuff that Drinkwitz was showing him, um, that maybe it's just a better matchup and like it's one of those things where everybody starts to count out a team and then they end up pulling off. But these are all such like flimsy bases upon which to kind of form any argument for LSU to win this game that and they're so volatile seeming right now that yeah I mean I just I, I it's it almost feels impossible to try to make a prediction but but I'm with you I mean I think yeah, I mean, you have freshman QBs that it's on South the onus is on South Carolina to get it done and if Miles plays the onus is on LSU and I guess this part that's going to matter is it's this whole game is really going to be about can LSU's defense just make any steps forward? That's what it's about, right? And when you look at the South Carolina offense or look at the metrics and whatnot, I mean, South Carolina, I personally think Colin Hill's okay, and I like Kevin Harris, that running back, but they're an offense that moves the ball efficiently. Like, they have a good success rate. They, they get the yards they're supposed to. But they don't get explosive plays. They don't make anything big, right? They are just going to kind of. Well, they haven't get gotten their first to play down, LSU yet. The ball. So I mean, let's. <laughs> exactly. But that's what is so interesting is what I was going to say. <laughs> exactly. But what I was going to say was it does kind of set itself up for LSU that if they are ever going to fix it, this would be it because you don't have as much risk of you know 
big plays. Like no matter what you want to say about Missouri, they were designed to get some big plays with that offense, some of those gimmicks, that quarterback, whatnot. And and even same for Mississippi State, the way they played and whatnot. But but South Carolina isn't. They're more move the ball little by little. So that does you know if if LSU is ever going to get on track, if they track, if they actually can simplify things, actually get players in the right position. You would assume if you can reduce some of that risk of big plays, you can actually hone in and kind of figure things out. Does that make any yeah, sense? Yeah, no, no. Look, I mean, that that kind of, I think that goes right in line with kind of where my head's at as well. It's just from a matchup perspective, I do think that this is something that Bo Pelini can find more easily digestible. Um, or at yeah. least we hope, right? You've had two weeks. Which, to yeah, get you did say that straight. Earlier. You're get right. Get it straight. So we are we are of the same mind there. Uh, you know, I would like to take a quick five minute look at the SEC as a whole. And wow, what Let's a great it. opportunity to uh, think about listening to the Football and Grits podcast. How about that? It's the Athletics Nailed SEC it. wide podcast where we'll talk about everything. Um, so the big news. So it's interesting, right? I don't I don't know if this is just a function of the ten game schedule, which it probably is, but I'm not a mathematician. But uh, you have three tiers that have developed in the SEC. There are four teams with winning records. It's Florida, UGA, Bama, and A&M. There are five teams, I believe. You have five teams with two and two records. Kentucky, South Carolina, Tennessee, Arkansas, and Auburn. And then there are five teams with losing records. Mizzou, Vandy, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State. A couple things that I find interesting about this. First off, Arkansas should be 3-1. and one. We'll get to the Hogs. But uh, more so, it's kind of ironic considering all the love and hype that the Mississippi teams have gotten, and they would find themselves in that lowest group. And then, of course, LSU as defending national champions being in that lowest group, having lost to two of the other members in that lowest group is just astounding still, and I and I cannot get over it. Yeah, I mean, you're at the point, if you were just – you know, it's kind of like the old, it's the whole SP plus debate, right? If you're going to go predictive versus result based. And yeah, if you're just going off the first three games, you cannot put LSU higher than second to worst in the SEC. <laughs> it has to be Vanderbilt. No, I'm no, just saying, like, that's not me no, like being like, right. I hate LSU. It's you, crazy. you have to go. I, to be clear, I think I think things tend to revert to the mean, and I think LSU is still like really talented and will actually win like a, a relatively big game or two. I, I do think that. But, yeah, if you're going off right now, it's Vanderbilt and LSU, of course. But, yeah, it is, it's a fascinating spot right now, and I'm, I'm curious where you're going with this. But I, it's, there's so many teams. I think this is how the 2020 season was always going to be, to be fair. So, But I don't know who's good and who isn't to some extent because – I'm not out on Florida after losing to AM. I'm just not. I think that was a, a really big football game on the road against two, in my opinion, genuinely good top 10 teams. And one team won and one team lost. That doesn't mean I think the other team's automatically bad. Or So then, like, what is Florida? I still think they're probably the eighth or ninth best team in the country. Or you have a Kentucky, which just is making life hell for us because they did not look particularly good against Auburn. They lost a thriller against Ole Miss. But then they just demolished Tennessee. So now I don't know what and they Mississippi are. State. They, and Mississippi State. I mean, they've won their combined games. Yeah. It's, like, it's like 50 or 60-something to like nine. It's 58 to nine. Yeah, well well done. And then you have, you know, with Georgia, who, by the way, I still think Georgia's the top five team in the country. Like, I I'm, I do. Uh, but, yeah, Georgia, for a half, looked like I'm like, wow, they are the number one team in the country. They've earned it. And then they just get demolished in the second half. So I just don't know who's good anymore. But I think that's kind of the fun. Well, of you know, you know, you know who you know who going. is good. You know, you know the one team that's good. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, and that is Alabama yeah. as Bama. So to me, um, you know, like I said, my takes this season have been Bo Pelini level. 
but I think the Stetson Bennett evaluation, and unfortunately, it's not really about Bennett. It's more about Kirby and how he treats the offense. Uh, but that once again reared its head. Uh, right? We asked the question, and it's such a bummer. Like, how could you win doing the same thing you've been doing offensively with, with a quarterback who's you know, honestly, like a bit of a lesser Jake Fromm. And, well, sure, like, you know that playing that conservative style that you and with great defense, you can beat the teams that you are more talented in, which is the vast majority. But in the biggest and best games, we asked, could he get you over the hump? And it just, it, 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 it just the offense is not dynamic enough to threaten those, uh, those best teams, I don't think. And... Here's the other thing, and this is something where I, I think I, I would love to actually hear Seth Emerson, our Georgia beat writer's thoughts on it. I'm sure it'll be broken down on Football and Grits this week. But I I want to know, because I don't – I think Kirby's getting criticized for, like, being like – I don't think he walked into that season and was like, you know what, guys, I want to go with Stetson Bennett this year. You know, like, no, I don't think that's true. how he planned it when he was mapping out his roster. Well, that's and, why, and that's why I'm not blaming be... Stetson. I'm blaming his approach to the offense, yeah, the conservative exactly. style, no, and, and just like, yeah, ball control, just a more old school. He, he's just a more old and school. And it's tough. But they brought in Jamie Newman, who was supposed to be an exciting quarterback to go with this new scheme. And, I mean, I heard he didn't really have a good camp anyway, but then obviously he opts out, so you lose him. And, and Grant, like I said, I no, don't he think was he's getting beat out anyway. There's a reason why he opted out. Yeah. And then you got the JT Daniels thing, and he, like, they, and they brought him in, and he's a big arm, you know, SC quarterback, you know. So, like, they brought in two guys that try to actually be modern forward quarterbacks. It's not like they, they wanted to do this, but then once Mathis clearly wasn't working out, they they were like okay Stetson Bennett's a guy we can trust and they had to do this and I hate that I'm like defending Kirby Smart here he deserves to be criticized for how he's handled his quarterback room over the last three years he deserves to be criticized for letting it get to this point that is bad roster management but I'm just saying like the the philosophy part of it I don't think that was ever the plan I think they just got into a bubble I mean got into a corner and basically were like we have a loaded team this is our only option anymore hmm. yeah maybe so. Um, so maybe that's just the part that he has to figure out is can he establish a more – which, I mean, I guess they've had yeah. some bad breaks in the first place or, or, you know, whatever. Maybe you could say they made some decisions that they shouldn't have at some points. But, like, can you get that dynamic quarterback pipeline? Because say what you will about LSU. And by the way, LSU, that's, what, oh, that's, the, that's the LSU well, question. But, yeah. but LSU still has not proven they have a well, pipeline. I would say, though, they seem like they're in a pretty good spot. With Howard they, and they, Nussmeyer in the tank, and then yes. uh, I know, like we said, they like Max Johnson. Miles Brennan's numbers through three games are uh, fantastic. So LSU looks like they're actually in a pretty good spot long term in that in that area. My in my opinion, in my opinion, Absolutely. but that's the thing. You know that but George again, is going to. But I'm not going to judge it until they can yeah. prove. Yeah, I was going to say Georgia also has a five star quarterback yeah, coming exactly. next year. Who's, you know, higher ranked than Nussmeyer. You know, like Georgia can recruit it. It's the same. LSU and Georgia are still, in some small extent, the same boat for me in that sense of like, can you? Well, prove but that they you can can't be on the same boat though because LSU's playing. system is so much like more dynamic, in my opinion, than Georgia's. Hey, they might not be in the same level of the boat. Like one might be in first class in the Titanic, and one might be you know. <laughs> Man, they, in lower, that's a big difference. They're in the same. I saw the movie. If you're in first class, you Let get me, on the. Come on, you give get me on the lifeboat. Here. But I'm saying. But I'm saying, like, they're both in the same thing of, like, I am still very much watching both to see if they can actually continuously get quarterbacks to produce. That's all yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, unlike Alabama, who's now scored 35 points, 17 games in a row. And yeah, Alabama is 100% at the point where they have proven they can develop so, quarterbacks year in, year out. Because 
for the old quarterbacks, even though they didn't put up big numbers, they did their job. Like Jalen Hurts did his job. So you had like you had all those quarterbacks before. Jalen Hurts, in my opinion, was pretty good. And obviously now you have two straight looking like. Well, stars. Uh, yeah. So uh, these are some numbers from Chris Vanini's excellent article in uh, the Athletic, where he just looks at some interesting factoids from around college football. So Mac Jones, two for four hundred seventeen yards and four touchdowns, one pick against Georgia. Uh, that is the most passing yards against Georgia since who, Brody? You're never going to get it. You just want me to say uh, it? That's Joe Burrow. Uh, no, Jared Lorenzen threw for 528 back Hell in 2000. Yeah. How badass of a Let's game go. for Jared Lorenzen. Uh, but these are the really depressing stats coming up Rest if you're an peace. LSU fan. Yeah, rip. Uh, there are eight 400-yard passing games in Alabama history. Mac Jones has three of those eight in four games this season. Tua Tonga-Valoa had wow. three 400-yard games in his entire career at Alabama, so he's already tied Tua. As I said, Bama has scored an NCAA record 35 points in 17 straight games. Um, coming into this game in the last 20 years, Georgia had allowed just two 160-yard receiving performances. They allowed Waddle and Smith both to go over 160 this year. Uh, Saban's now 22-0 against his assistants and... He now has 86 wins against ranked opponents, tying Joe Paterno for the most all-time. I mean, mm. we're at a point where, yeah, I mean, LSU just had the best offense ever but that I've ever seen. But Alabama's is absolutely going to be in that conversation if this continues because they even have – I mean, I think Burrow is unquestionably, in my opinion, better than Mac Jones. This isn't like a one-for-one a one thing. But the way they're looking right now, what they just did to Georgia, and we're going to see it going forward, like this offense could be – and also, guys, just get used to it. Like LSU fans are probably going to get really defensive for the next like decade every time there's a great offense about like, well, we're number one. Guys, it's modern football. Every year it's probably going to get one up. You know, like it's just how this goes. But, I mean, this looks like it can be an absolute juggernaut. And they have something almost LSU didn't have in the sense that, like, Najee Harris is almost its own thing where it's like now you have this riveting spread power deep ball offense, but also this just, like, scary, like, you know, smaller Derrick Henry type, you know, power runner. So you have so many things going on there. So this offense, I just don't see anyone coming close to. I, I think mean, it's going to be Alabama Clemson again. than Georgia in the country? No one. There's nobody in the ACC. No, the answer is no one. In the Big Twelve. I just don't know the Big Ten well enough. Like, is like Ohio State maybe? They have a good defense. I don't know if it's anywhere uh, that level. No. Because I mean, that was the question for Mac Jones, right? The one time he'd struggled in his career was against that Auburn defense. And so, if Georgia couldn't do it to him this year, I don't think anybody else. But you know what makes me happy in these dark times? Last thing, Brody. Sam. Yeah. I love my guy Sam. Sam Pittman. Love him, God, love I him, need. love him. Picking off Matt Corral six times. How about the former walk-on linebacker? Oh, let me pull up my notes. What was his name? Um, Grant Morgan, Arkansas senior safety, former walk-on. 19 tackles, three TFLs, and a pick six. <sighs> Laying it, it on the line. Yeah, I mean, we're so, we are seeing like a sincere, you know, well, I'm trying to put this like movement toward, and it's been happening for years, but the CEO type coach. And yeah. I, I mean, Ed Ogeron, well, da- I think Dabo was the one who really put that at the forefront. And now Ed Ogeron kind of perfected it. Now Sam Pittman, that was clearly, I don't think Sam Pittman gets that job without Ed Ogeron doing what he did. And I mean, you see it all across sports. And to be clear, Saban doesn't call plays anymore either. You know, Urban Meyer didn't, you know, stuff like that. But I mean, it's smart. You, you're seeing both those coordinators do some great stuff with a not very talented football team right now. And, and I mean, if you again 
I know I can get annoying with some of the stats sometimes, but I'm make, I am I always say when I use advanced stats that, okay, Arkansas is still considered 78th in the country in SP+. Point is, like, they're not a good football team, but I mean that as yes. a compliment because when you're winning football games and you're, like, actual, like, down-by-down stats tell you you're not good, that's probably a result of good coaching, knowing how to win in winning time, building a team that knows how to compete at the right time and make the right plays and control things. So that's impressive as hell that you are not good and you are yeah, winning. Yeah, I mean, so, the most yeah, simple way to say it. that good for the sport. is a coach, a good coach, makes the team greater than the sum of its parts, and a bad coach makes the team lesser. And right now, that at is a Arkansas, way to say it, buddy. Um, that's what they're doing. And unfortunately, with this LSU defense, the opposite is true. Uh, and, and that's the thing about the CEO model. You can't miss on the hires. Or you at least can't miss as badly as it appears that LSU's missed right now. But uh, who knows? Maybe we'll be singing a different tune next Tuesday if LSU's defense shows some life, a little pride, and, and bounces back. I mean, I don't think they'll be as bad. Uh, all right. That'll do it for this week's Hold That Podcast podcast. Um, shout out to The Athletic for hosting the podcast. Uh, go, go to theathletic.com slash hold that podcast. a great sign-up deal dollar a month there it's awesome it's so worth it it's crazy and um yeah and so we will see you again next monday and uh i it's th- so that is one we'll end on this it is it, it is at least exciting in that i truly have no idea what to expect this weekend like i just like it, it's <laughs> no, so something- volatile that that you can you could really see anything happening no, I, I, and Bill, I mean, just as a reporter, it's like, yeah, I think there's something about the, uh, a bad season that's the saddest thing to cover because, like, there's nothing new to really follow. It's like, hey, man, if, if you're watching Max Johnson, that gives me something new to follow. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm excited as hell to watch a true freshman play an SEC defense. Uh, embrace the chaos and buy your meats at A Bear Specialty Meats. We'll see you next week on the Hold That Podcast podcast.